This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Welcome to In the Weeds, or welcome back. I'm with Shay today. Hi, Shay. Good to be with you, John. You too. You're a pastor. You're going to help keep me out of trouble when we talk about this. Uh, Today, we're talking about guilt. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different angles uh, to this concept of guilt. It's very nuanced. So buckle up, get ready for the ride. But we really think that this is going to be freeing uh, for you in the end. Yeah, John, I I hope this episode is freeing for our listeners. Um, but you know, as we've talked about this topic of guilt, um, it's 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 more complex than people realize. I mean, we, this is I think the hardest episode that we've done uh, so far. And uh, but it is true. So many of us feel guilty over things we shouldn't feel guilty about. Um, we think if we feel guilty, we must be guilty, right? Um, well. Not necessarily, as we're going to see today. And then some have consciences that are so hardened, they should feel guilty Mm. and see how they've hurt others. Um, We're all on a spectrum, John, I think, when it comes to this topic. And so, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, I I, I think our desire and our hope for uh, people listening is, is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, five when he says, he says, the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A good conscience is the key. Yeah. And that good conscience that Paul refers to is something that does not happen automatically. We're not just automatically gifted with a good conscience. It's something we need to work on, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But the first thing we want to start with is just some basic definitions of what we're talking about. Let's take guilt. Uh, Guilt has two sides to it. It's a legal, forensic category. I stole a ham from Moser's. That's a grocery (laughs) store here in Columbia. I'm guilty. Or I didn't steal the ham from the grocery store. I'm not guilty. This is relatively simple and straightforward. Um, The other side of guilt, though, is very complicated, and it involves a set of internal feelings. There are lots of negative emotions that swirl around this concept of guilt, and we're going to say that that they're a part of our conscience. But now another difficulty is introduced because our conscience can take us in the wrong direction. Uh, Jiminy Cricket was not right. Uh, Just let your conscience be your guide uh, because it's fallible. Uh, It's not perfect. So 1 John 3 verse 20 makes it very clear. John says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. 
and he knows everything. Mm -hmm. So John's making pretty clear we can have guilty feelings, and I'm going to connect that to conscience, that are not accurate. And we have to look to God to be the judge of our conscience. Um, Paul says that uh, his conscience can be very wrong. He says that in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I'm not conscious of anything against me, but God judges the motives of the heart. So it's pretty clear in Scripture that no one has a perfect conscience. We always need to explore it and discern what it's saying. It's not neutral. Think of it like a piece of software, and it's been written by our imperfect hearts that interpret God's truth imperfectly, our imperfect parents who work hard at, if they're good parents, work hard at giving us a, a moral framework, but they're not perfect either. Um, shaming experiences we've had where we've taken uh, things and incorporated them into our conscience that are hurtful. Um, so the, it's not a neutral piece of software. Mm -hmm. We're always having to update it. Um, a lot of people confuse the voice of their conscience or the guilty feelings inside of them with what we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Um, it may or may not be true that the Holy Spirit is convicting the believer, uh, but their guilt and the guilt feelings is not the same thing as the conviction of the Spirit. A person's guilt and guilt feelings is their own set of feelings related to their conscience, not the Lord's. Uh, a conviction of the Holy Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit says and does, and He imparts truth to us. And what he feels when he does the convicting is his feeling, not ours. So sometimes the Holy Spirit is grieved. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is concerned. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's leading us into truth, um, pointing us toward what is right. But when he convicts, he's sending a message. And what I've found that's really helpful, Shay, yeah. is when I have my imperfect conscience at work, and all of the stuff that goes into that, I always get really confused. It's muddy. Mm -hmm. I feel uh, weighed down. Yeah. I don't feel like God likes me. The Holy Spirit's conviction is always very different in my life. It's very clear. It's detailed. It's exact. And it never condemns. Um, you know, he'll come to me and say, John, yesterday when you got into your car, you had this thought about this person. Yeah. <laughs> And it was not right. Yeah, yeah. It's usually pretty crystal clear. Um, if we end up feeling condemned or just bad before God, those are our feelings, not his. So in John, we're told the Spirit will come and convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, and I want to break those down real quickly. Sin, meaning detouring or moving away from God's design. Mm -hmm. He's not going to come and say, oh, you awful, stupid, ugly sinner. That's not what John means when he says the Spirit's going to convict of sin. He's going to come and speak truth. He's going to say, this is not God's design for your life. Um, so he's going to convict of sin, righteousness. Uh, he's going to point us to what is right, mm -hmm. the way things should be. And then judgment. And what I take that to mean is judgment on the non-believer. 
because we're born in that state. We're going to get into this in a minute where we're completely forgiven as believers. But John says earlier in his gospel, Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world. The world is already judged. He came to set us free. So when he convicts, it's clear. It's never condemning. It's to guide us into truth. Yeah. So, John, what what we want to be clear about here, um, just at the very beginning, is the first thing we need to say is that as Christians, we're we're not in a state of Mm. guilt before God, right? Right. Uh, Romans 8.1, very familiar verse. Uh, You'll find this verse on a lot of refrigerator magnets, that sort of thing. There (laughs) is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible— this means never that he's legally satisfied God's requirements of obedience in our place. And we're not in a questionable relationship with God if we're in Christ. We're adopted. Hmm. Uh, the gospel tells us as sons and daughters who are co-inheritors with Jesus. Now, now let's be very clear about something. God's acceptance of us in no way negates or minimizes our badness. In fact, he's able to receive us now, not because we are innocent, but because our debt of guilt has been fully paid once and for all. Hmm. So when we are afraid that he'll never or will not accept us because we've done something wrong, it is we who at some level are negating and minimizing what he has done for us. Well, that's interesting because sometimes people feel like, well, it's good for me to feel guilt. But actually, if you think about it, that's refusing to accept what God's done. Yeah. That's very arrogant. Yeah, that is a very arrogant position. And it's really uninformed of of how much God has given us in in Jesus. Um, I want to read a a passage uh, that that Paul writes in in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I won't read all of these verses, but, but just listen to how Paul puts this. He says this. He says, what then... Shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Uh, He will bring, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? One of my favorite passages, John, in in, in all of the the Bible. And and so the question we ask ourselves is God and, and us, are we friends? God, are you mad at me? Well, the answer, according to that passage, is, is no. If we have a relationship with Jesus, right, nothing can separate us from his love. Not our past sin, hmm. not our present sin, even our future sin can't separate us from the love of Christ. So God already knows what I'm going to do five days from now. Absolutely. In, in fact, if you think about it, it makes sense. All of our sins were in the future when Jesus went to the cross, mm, Yeah. right? Um, so they were all in the future, right? Because it happened 2,000 years ago. 
Um, so we've been declared righteous in God's sight, even though we aren't. That's the gospel in a nutshell. But Paul here in Romans 8, he raises the question that I think we're essentially talking about. He says, who is it that now condemns? Well, one answer that Paul says is Satan, the, the accuser, hmm. the, the father of lies. See, he accuses us before God. And he whispers in our own heads. He says to us, look at what you've done. Hmm. I mean, how can you call yourself a Christian after you continually sin? And in some sense, he's right. But it's not, John, about our record. It's about Jesus's record. In other words, he lived the life that we should live, and he died the death we deserved. And that record becomes ours. And so when Satan accuses us in our conscience, we have to go back to the cross and cling to Jesus. So you, you, you're reading my thoughts when I go to bed at night. <laughs> like, how could I yeah. be, how could yeah. I, how dare I call myself a pastor mm -hmm. or a Christian? And the, the enemy comes in and says, you know what? You should know better. Or, or another way to look at this is our own consciences can condemn us. You know, we look at life. And maybe we're going through some hardship, and we think, you know what? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? He must not love me. You know, uh, maybe he's paying me back for something that I've done. And, and we fall into that kind of thinking, and Paul says nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. You know, as a pastor of so many years, I have found the gospel, you explaining this, feels so good, mm -hmm. but it's like slippery soap in the shower. Yeah. As soon as I get it in my hand, Boop. it slips out, and I've, <laughs> I've got to go find it again. Um, I'm not going to explore that further with your— Yeah. With you, <laughs> so what you're, what you're saying then to apply it to the concept of guilt and conscience is that our guilty feelings have to be analyzed and put under the laser beam of the gospel like all the time. That's exactly right. Uh, we we can't assume that our consciences are like equal to what God's saying. Uh, there are many Christians, though, and I want to ask you a little bit about this and talk about it. There are many Christians who believe that these guilty feelings or a punishing conscience is the very thing that we need to grow and to protect us from sinning. And if I'm hearing you correctly, that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And it's a product of our fallen nature. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think it's a little bit complex, but we've all sat under preaching, right, that's been very condemning, that's very—a uh, lot of law. Uh, it's easy to make people feel guilty, right? Yeah. Or even legalism that, that, that people add to the law. And uh, so you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't play cards, you shouldn't go to the theater. We, we've heard those kind of things to make people feel guilty. And I think we've both realized as pastors that that kind of giving people law doesn't help us grow. Yeah, we're addicted to law and legalism. We're born under it. Yeah. And one of my mentors used to tell me that grace is resistible because law and guilt, trying to perform to be good, is a lot easier than grace mm -hmm. because one of the main purposes of God accepting us and saying there's no condemnation, you can be carefree now, is to create an environment 
in which we're free to face, to own, and work on the problems that we have. It's kind of like Grace is saying, okay, cool, let's get started. Let's work on the ways that you've been damaged by sin and the ways that you've sinned in response and the ways that it's been woven into your life. Yeah, but even though the believer's free from guilt, right? Paul says, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We all still struggle with guilt feelings and our conscience. So the question, John, is how do we understand our our conscience? Well, um, you're going to tell us. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm hoping yeah. to. So you know, you you see these different words, uh, or the the Bible describes it in different ways, and um, and and so one way that we see it is we 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 find people who have a weak conscience, as the as the Bible says. The weak conscience is an overstrict. Hmm. Um, punitive internal judge that finds guilt everywhere. Mm. Okay, I, I struggle with this a little bit. I, I mm-hmm. maybe because of my background, but I always show up and feel like you know I'm I'm guilty. I've done something wrong. I'm probably the one who's messed up everything. It. We all know people like this, right? That they mm-hmm. always they always feel like they're unworthy. Yeah, they're they're guilty. Um, well, that may be their their weak conscience is is active. Or conversely, the flip side of that, the Bible talks about a seared conscience, okay? And so these are people, um, I I would say that um, because their conscience is so hardened, it's so seared, that in an unhealthy way, they can't have empathy for other people. Hmm. You know, people like this, they, they can't relate I stay to away other, from yeah, people like this. Yeah, they're dangerous. <laughs> yeah. They can't, re, they can't take their eyes off of themselves to understand what they say or how their actions affect other people. Um, I, I think it's the classic narcissist, wouldn't you say, John? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that comes from a place of feeling terribly insecure inside mm-hmm. or threatened. And so you create this, like, persona where you can do no wrong, and everybody else is wrong. That's exactly right. So, and, and, and so I think our goal here is to, what we might say, is to have a mature conscience. Hmm. So over time, the mature conscience is able to discern and apply biblical values as it makes judgments. So when the Bible speaks of a clear conscience, it indicates a person, I, I think, using a, a spiritually trained internal monitor. Hmm. Um, to, to have a clear conscience doesn't mean you're perfect, but only that your conscience is accurately helping you make biblical judgments about your actions. So it's not a weak conscience, it's not a hardened conscience or a seared conscience, but it's, it's, it's a mature conscience. Not perfect, but it's using biblical principles, truths to evaluate decisions that you make. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. All right, so you have to train your conscience and you have to constantly update it like a piece of software. I think so. Part of this is because of where conscience comes from. Adam and Eve were not created with one. 
because they didn't know evil. They mm -hmm. didn't know wrong. And as soon as they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what they got, Shay? Yeah, conscience. The knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> That's exactly right. But they're not God. So they have the knowledge of good and evil without God's capacity to discern and to judge correctly. And so that's where the conscience comes from. So it's it's always going to be needing an update and a reevaluation. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think people really understand that passage well. That we we hmm. uh, Adam and Eve that they didn't have a conscience uh, originally, but then they became knowledgeable of good and evil, and um, and and that's where that originated. But but John, I think also we can talk about. And, and I think we can all understand this, is um, there are unhealthy, guilty feelings that, that are part of our lives that are imposed on us by others. Can you give us some examples? Right, yeah, th there's tons of examples. Let, let me give you—here are some questions uh, uh, that, that people ask of us that— <laughs> This is going to be put, under, this, put us under the guilt pile, right? This is fun. Uh, how about this? How can you be so selfish and not lend me the money, right? Nice. Has anyone ever? No one ever asked that of me because I don't have any money. But uh, or how about this one? After all I've done for <laughs> you, you can't even come home for Christmas. Really? Ever had a parent say that to you? Or Ow. Uh, there, there's so much here to be done, and and you're going on vacation. Really? Yeah. yeah. You know how much work we've got to do? Or or you should have overcome that pornography habit or problem you mm. have by now. Hmm. You, you know, you should be beyond that. Or um, it could come in the form of legalism. You, you mean you're not reading your Bible every day? Well, that's mm. what good Christians do. Um, you get the idea, John. Yeah. Uh, so what, what is eventually, or essentially what's happening is, is the person usually wants something from us and is angry that we aren't providing it. Yeah. And, and so the guilt message is just a way to get us to change our mind. So people lay guilt trips on us. And the problem is, is that we can begin to feel guilty when we're not actually guilty. And that is a lot of the time. Yes. I think. Yeah, I, I think so. I, um, I, I felt this way in uh, taking care of my mother as, you know, in the latter part of her life when she got dementia and... Um, my brothers and my sister and I ended up uh, putting her in a nursing home, or not a nursing home, but an assisted living facility, and and she did not want to leave her home. And so um, I would go and I would visit her, and she would make me feel guilty about why did you do this to me, and mm. why would you put me in a place like this, and uh, or you're not visiting me enough, or you're not doing enough, and and. Um, you know, I, I'm not blaming my mother, but I just remember feeling how guilty I felt as a result of that. And as I processed those guilty feelings, one of the things that I realized is, is no, I, I, we'd actually put her in this assisted living facility as an act of love yeah. to take care of her. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, she laid the guilt on sure. <laughs> thick. Well, and that's part of where conscience gets developed is from your parents when you're really young. So those voices are very, very powerful yeah. inside of you. One of the things that you can do with a conscience is identify what the voice is that you're hearing and put a name to it and get it outside of your head. Is that a teacher that I failed to mm -hmm. please or satisfy when I was growing up? 
Is that my dad's voice, my mom's voice, the bully on the playground? I mean, yeah. what voice is this? That we're listening to. Yeah, yeah, get it out of your head by naming it. And, yeah. and that helps a lot. Yeah, and there's a lot of secondhand guilt, right, that we carry around, that we inherit from others, right? We all know of the, the mother-in-law who's overbearing, um, that likes to come and to lay on the guilt. You know, we didn't raise our children that way. Yeah. Um, well, the house isn't very clean. Uh, you don't spank now. Not my mother-in-law, John. I have a I have a great mother-in-law, but but uh, we all you, know that. you get the you get the idea. Or a, a lot of guilt and shame we carry around comes from maybe, uh, and I think we're going to talk about this in future episodes about maybe growing up with an abusive or addictive parents. And and so a lot of people that are raised in those kind of homes, we we feel like we're worthless, that we're the ones to blame. Um, we must be the ones that were responsible for what happened. Or uh, another category of unhealthy, guilty feelings that we often have comes from just when we just make honest mistakes in life. Um, you know, for example, I, I know a guy um, who, uh, as part of our church, he, he moved his family here. He joined a company. He did his research. He, he took this position and about six months into the job, he realized that the leaders of the company were very corrupt, and mm. it was going under. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. And so the, the company went bankrupt. He lost his job, and he felt the guilt over the, the bringing his family to this new city, new schools, and then this, this job falling apart. Or um, you know, you, we think about somebody that just makes an honest mistake. Maybe they're driving and they hit a child accidentally, mm. and 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 you know, God forbid, but but maybe the child dies and it wasn't their fault at all. God doesn't lay guilt on us for tragic mistakes that happen. Mm. That's very freeing. We we all make honest mistakes in life, and so there comes a time when we just have to simply accept what has happened, and and we have to move on. Yeah, it's like being comfortable in your own skin as a human because you're not God and you can't foretell the future. This guy didn't know his job yeah. would fall apart or go in a direction he hadn't planned. Yeah. And so you, you really have to uh, give yourself grace Yeah. and allow yourself the freedom to work on things. Yeah. Or, or we might think in other examples, you know, as parents, I, I've got teenagers, you know, and we think, well, I shouldn't have let them date that person, or and and therefore um, this bad thing wouldn't have happened in their lives. You know, we can play those what if games all day long. Mm. Um, so we've been we're talking here about unhealthy guilt in our lives, but John, let me ask you: Is there uh, a healthy guilt in our lives? Yeah. And how how do you discern? Is there a type of a good type of conviction? over sin that God can bring into our lives. Yes, absolutely. And let's just unpack it a little bit. Paul calls it godly sorrow. Those are the words he uses. He doesn't use guilt. Okay. He uses godly sorrow that he says brings repentance. And let's just define repentance as, oh, I get it. Um, and Paul says that does not bring regret. It brings new life. It brings growth. Okay. He contrasts that with worldly sorrow, and that's the kind of guilt feeling that brings death. And knowing the difference takes a lot of discernment. Yeah. So, so maybe worldly sorrow, right? We we just 
we we're um, upset about that we've made a mess of things, right? It's self-absorbed. It's self-focus. You're motivated by I don't like feeling bad. I don't like it that I got caught. I feel judged. It's all about you. Yeah, I'm embarrassed because now people know that I've done this sort of yes. thing. It's very self-focused. Yes. And the believer can fall into that, mm-hmm. but you need to know the differences between that and godly sorrow in order to bring that before the presence of God and sort it out, like in your own thinking. That's good. Godly sorrow is really different. Godly sorrow asks questions like this. Who have I hurt? What damage have I done? How can I repair it? It it would be looking at someone saying, I had no idea I hurt you like that. What can I do? Do you feel the difference between that and, oh my gosh, I can't believe I feel this badly. Yeah. You you made this happen. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 godly sorrow, it's it's very it's a it's a conviction by the Holy Spirit. mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit brings in our lives Mm -hmm. and, and it's very specific. It's against God. It's against other people. Mm-hmm. It's not just this general feeling of of badness or unease. It's very specific, and it's it's towards God and it's it's hurting other people. As yeah, well. and the toward God piece is um, I've really gone outside of His design, mm-hmm. and God's not mad at me, but I love Him, and I don't want to cause hurt in our relationship. And then you bring that to the human level. I don't want to hurt this person. Right. Like, I want to repair this. That's godly sorrow. So that's when we talk about, like, what's a healthy guilt feeling? I want to reframe it into what kind of sorrow do you have? Is it sorrow that you're in a bad position now and you got to figure a way out of it? (laughs) And you may be. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's all about you. Yeah. And that can get really ugly. Uh, we don't even have time to get into how ugly that can yeah. get, but you can you can gaslight people. You can say, well, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Right. Isolate yourself, all to get away from these these feelings that you have. But it's never about the other person. It's never about how do I repair the damage I've done. It's good. Like, what what is God asking me to look at now? Mm-hmm. And only grace gives you the freedom to do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, God's not going to love me any less. He can't love me anymore. Um, so I can work on this. Yeah. Yeah. So so when we talk about the difference between, uh, and, and, and Paul talks about it, right, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, um, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, I, I think what the story that comes to mind is the difference, right, between Peter and Judas. You, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a good example. You like comparing and contrasting Peter and Judas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we read Cloud and Townsend, and we like them, and they use the same kind of comparison and contrast. Um, and essentially, worldly sorrow uh, is the kind Judas expressed after he betrayed Jesus. He went out and killed himself. Right. Worldly sorrow is not based in love, but it's based on yourself and your own badness. I can't get away from this badness. So instead of going to Jesus, look at what I've done. Yeah. What yeah. do I do? Yeah, I just, I'll just kill myself. And he even tries to repair what he's done, right? He tries to give the silver, the 30 pieces of silver back 
to make this right, right? He, he, but the Pharisees yeah. were not the ones he hurt. That's right. He hurt Jesus. And, and the other disciples, yeah. He did yeah. not go to them. Yeah. He tried to just get away from his own badness, okay? Peter is very different. He denied Jesus, and he experienced godly sorrow. He was heartbroken. He went out and wept bitterly, and he moved toward the relationship with Jesus. He went into community with the disciples, and Jesus pursued him, and Jesus restored him. So the Bible says we should not feel guilty, but we should feel sorry, and there's a big difference. Yeah. Guilt is going to focus on me, how bad I am. It's not going to take me into what have I done to hurt you. If I'm feeling guilty, what I want is to feel good again. I'm not concerned about the destruction I've created or how I've hurt someone. Guilt is self-directed. On the other hand, godly sorrow focuses on who have I hurt. Yeah, I, I think that is so good and it's so helpful um, to help us to understand that and uh, this that whole idea of unhealthy, guilty feelings that we have in our life versus just true conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. And um, so um, can I, I say, we're saying, yeah, go ahead. Can yeah. I say this about Peter? Yeah. And this is the thing that rescues me. He moved toward Jesus by staying in community with the disciples and pretty much had thought, Jesus must be done with me. And I live there half the time. Yeah. Like, I can't believe Jesus would love me after I've done this. The beauty of that story is Jesus came to him and Jesus restored him by asking him three questions. Mm -hmm. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the third time... In John 21, we're told Peter was hurt because he got it. Yeah. That his love had failed Jesus. And that's what he needed to know. And Jesus countered that three times with feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And that godly sorrow led him to preach at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where thousands of people were saved because the coin dropped. Right. It's not my love for Jesus that will sustain me. It's his love for us. It's going to be his love for me. Yeah, yeah. And that's the beauty of godly sorrow. It brings life. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we're saying here is that that guilt doesn't belong in the believer's right, it life, right? We're, right. we're not condemned. There, the, the, Our guilt has been taken care of at the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hmm. We're accepted, uh, but we're now accepted. In, in our acceptance, we're free to work on remaining sin that, that we see in our lives. And so um, we have this conscience, but it needs to be examined. Does it line up with what God says? Is there conviction? Uh, is it? Is there? Uh, am I convicted? Am I, am I clearly convicted of something that I've done that's violated God's law, right? Hmm. Or hurt other people? And that leads into a godly sorrow in our, in our lives, not just a worldly sorrow. That's what we're saying. Is that what we're saying? And there you have it. Guilt, conscience, worldly sorrow, godly sorrow, conviction, yeah. all wrapped up in one neat package. Yeah. So it's, it's very freeing, isn't it? Because I think so many of us walk around with, with just so much guilt in our lives, just this, this nagging feeling of yeah. guilt that somehow God must be mad at us that he doesn't like us, that we're in his doghouse somehow. And, we, and we've got to believe the gospel. 
But yet, as believers, God is faithful in His grace to continue to convict us of sin and and, and wants us to repent of that and and to grow. And the enemy uses guilt feelings as a major tool to keep us isolated from God. Mm -hmm. So we can't hear this enough. That's so great. Okay, so we've been talking about guilt in this episode, John. Uh, Our next two episodes, we're going to we're going to jump into the a similar topic, um, and that is shame. And so this is a big one. We have a lot to say on this, and so we hope that you join us. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.